And this is what Jesus says about who you are as a human being, that your meta-narrative is this, is that you are made for relationships and your soul thrives when you experience them in a healthy way. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your critical thinking skills and in your faith. We cannot do the work for you. You have to be the one that actually figures out what you believe and why you believe it, but we can be your guides. We can be your journeymen along uh, in the story of your life and be the, what are those, the little sidekicks that are going to be there and just give you that poignant moment when you're in your deepest, darkest moments. We'll be the little sidekick that will say, well, did you think about this, sir? And then, or madam, and that will further encourage you. So we are here to be, yes, we are two jesters to be uh, comic relief in the story of your life. So my name is Jesse Mayer. I will be your host and we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Welcome everybody. You know, it's really interesting because in the world today, they've separated uh, critical thinking skills and, and rationality from faith. And this, of course, is a false categorization. It's a false comparison. And the, the attempt to do that is to try to make faith look irrational, whereas faith is really a composite. It's a composite of our will. You know, it's a composite of our head mm. and a composite of our heart. So all of these things come together, which is the fullness of what it means to be a human being. And so that's why faith is the highest calling. It's the highest expression of humanity. And that's what we want to do is help you grow your faith. And we want you to be able to grow all aspects of your faith, not just your heart and your soul, but your mind as well, because all of those three things together are what produce the fruit of the spirit in your life. Well, and I would say that, I mean, that's like you said, there's a lot of misdirection on only people that are ignorant believe in, you know, a, a greater deity or have faith. It's because yeah. they, they don't know any better. They're not smart enough to yeah. understand the realities yeah. of the world. So they, they go based on. Yeah. It's a straw faith. man. It's an ad hominem yeah. argument. Basically you say, we're going to, we're going to attack your character as ignorant because you're not smart enough to know the higher things. But when you really look at it, you go, yeah, but what you actually believe is pretty inept. <laughs> So, well, that's why I'm thankful, man. I'm yeah. so thankful this Thanksgiving week. It is Thanksgiving week. Loving we are, it. We are thankful for the opportunity to be here with yes. you guys, for the opportunity to be sharing the gospel and to helping you guys grow in your journey. We're yeah. actually wrapping up our current series, Storybook mm-hmm. Endings. We're mm-hmm. in the final chapter. Yes, we are. This is where we'll find out how your story ends. <laughs> uh, I need to, I need to work on my movie announcer voice. This, I hope <laughs> this Thanksgiving, <laughs> I hope your story doesn't end this week. <laughs> I hope it continues on forever and ever. Um, but, uh, we're going to wrap this one up and then we're going to be moving into our new series. Um, yes. we're heading into the Christmas season. Yes. It's crazy that it's already Christmas, but we're excited for it. And our I new am. series is titled how Jesus is Christmas. Yes. Yes. Um, so I mean, what's, what, how do we wrap up this series that we're currently in? We're, we're starting in Genesis. We studied, uh, how we are made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. We're male and female, Mm -hmm. our expressions of this image of God. And then we went to Ephesians chapter four to discover why the desires of our souls are so difficult to fulfill. Um, because of this stain or influence or this taint of sin on us. Yes. Uh, how are we wrapping this all up, Pastor? 
Well, I think that, you know, what we've talked about over and over again is we're created in the image of God, and so the desires of our souls are legitimate, and they're expressions of the fullness of what it means to be a human being. And then it's in the attempt of fulfilling these desires that so many problems arrive in our own life, because in the fulfillment of these desires, or sometimes the desires themselves, can be influenced by the taint. And that's where we get confused or messed up. And this is what Paul is addressing in chapter four, is we have to be diligent to protect the bond of unity. Uh, We want to make sure that we are protecting our bond of unity with Jesus and then with one another. Mm. This is exactly what Jesus prayed for over the apostles in John chapter 17. It's, It's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus, where he prays for his disciples. And he says, I pray that you will keep them in unity because you and I are in unity. I'm in you. You are in me and we are in them and they are in us. And so he uses a lot of this really poetic language. It's really powerful about praying that we all can stay unified and that we do that by resolving conflicts. You know, Mm -hmm. that's how we stay unified. Uh, Unified in the spirit is not uniformity where we look the same, act the same, you know, do everything the same. It's what it is though, is that we have this tremendous capacity in our diversity to be unified with one another through a common mission, a common faith, a common heart. That's where he says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism there in the first five verses. So we have to be diligent to pursue that. Uh, The second thing we found out is that to be created in the image of God means I'm relational, you know? And however, my relationships can be the greatest joy, greatest pain in my life. Mm. And so that's why uh, we have to put off the old self and put on the new self. In chapter four of the book of Ephesians, he goes on verses 17 and follow and says, you've got to take off the old way of thinking, the old way of living, the old priorities you had in life and values. You've got to adopt new ones. And it's called being made new in the attitude of your mind. And then he gave us seven practical steps on how to do that. Mm. Right. He said, look, first of all, if you want to put on your new self, you got to lay aside falsehood. And I think this really, we dug into this about how this isn't saying go out and speak a truth to people. And so what it is, is it's laying about the falsehoods, the false ideologies, the false uh, identities that I uh, I adopt on myself, right? I got to lay those side. I got to speak truthfully to my neighbor in humility. And Mm. that's what love is, you see. Then I need to deal with my anger. I need to learn how to be productive. I need to use words well. I got to get rid of bad attitudes and behaviors. I got to be kind and compassionate. And then I got to learn how to forgive. And when I do that, I'm putting on the new self. And what that does has is a dramatic impact on my relationships across the board. So the story that I'm writing now is a different story. And it comes to a different ending. And in the end, these seven practical steps fulfill how we can preserve the bond of unity and resolve all the conflicts that come up. I, I mean, it's a little late in this series for me to finally make this comparison, but as we were talking about these ways that we can really change how our story is written, it reminds me of, did you, I don't know if you're, you, I, you probably didn't read it, but your kids might've, the old Goosebumps books where it was pick your Oh yeah. Adventure, pick your ending. Yeah. Your pick adventure your adventure. Or whatever. Yeah. And so you would like go and then like, if you hit the wrong thing, it would just like, you know, end poorly yeah. usually. And so there was usually <laughs> always poorly. And so like these, these, uh, things that Paul shares with us that we've been hitting in Ephesians four over and over are, are going to allow you to make the right choices in your pick your own adventure book yeah. to make sure you make it to the happy ending. 
the happy the, ending. Yeah, so it's it's definitely that in your way. Relationships, and I think that's I think that's what what's happening here in a big sense. And and today to wrap it up, I just want to talk about the power of narrative. You see, and what a lot of people are hearing today is you know tell your story, the power of story, and the story, mm-hmm. and that that's true. That's and what they're really saying is that the narrative is what is really important. And what a lot of people don't think about, this is an upstream concept to think about, is that belief systems, religions, are known as meta-narratives. They're, they're big picture narratives. Mm. And what they're trying to do is try, trying to answer some basic questions. What does it mean to be a human being? Why are humans in existence? Why are they here? And is there any point and purpose to their life? And when you look at this meta-narrative, you only have a few options actually to choose from five, maybe six, you know, first is atheism, scientific materialism. And in their meta narrative, what they're saying is there is no soul. And since there's no soul, then the implication is there are all the spiritual concepts like love, virtue, honor, character, uh, in relationships, things like bonding, you know, uh, loyalty, honesty, all of those things are ultimately irrelevant in scientific materialism or atheism. They're irrelevant because you don't have a soul anyway. Uh, Sam Harris basically says that it's an illusion that these things exist. It's a helpful illusion, but it's illusion nonetheless. Now, in Islam, you could choose that. And what's interesting is in Islam, uh, without getting stuck in the weeds too much, is basically relationships are structured for the purpose of the male to obtain paradise. And so if, if you really, if you really look at the hadiths that are about relationships and about being a wife and all that kind of stuff is that the feminine image of God, you know, the God, God's created them male and female, right? So he created mm-hmm. the masculine as image bearers of him and the feminine as image bearers of him. But in Islam, the feminine image uh, of God is not acknowledged. You see, it's not acknowledged at all. So it's, it's very one-sided. Um, you could pick hedonism. You know, this is the ancient philosopher, Greek philosopher Aristippus, which says basically pleasure and sensuality is the ultimate goal of life. So go out and get mes- what, as much as you want. Of course, Socrates and then Aristotle debunked that pretty radically and effectively. But that, in essence, when it comes to your relationships, is a meta-narrative is basically narcissism. Mm. You know? I'm here. The only reason I'm here is to use people for what I want. And as long as, you know, I'm getting what I want, I'm fine. Otherwise I'm not happy. I'm moving on. Uh, you can choose, you know, Hinduism, which is in India, Buddhism, which is in China. So that's a pretty massive group of people, right? You know, between one, and 2 billion people right there. Uh, not all are Hindu and not all are Buddhist, but Buddhism is kind of like a nephew a little bit or a niece of Hinduism. Okay. And, it, what's really interesting is that, uh, like in Buddhism in particular, you see there are four noble truths, and they basically say the reason why you're disappointed or frustrated or angry or suffering is because you have expectations. Get rid of those. So what they do is they basically have an eightfold path, and their goal is to reduce any and all expectations of anybody or anything, which, of course, when it comes to relationships, that's really difficult. Right. Uh, to have a relationship where there are no, where there's no bonding because there's no dependability. And then, you know, like the fifth one that you could choose uh, is basically Jesus. And this is what Jesus says about who you are as a human being, that your meta narrative is this, is that you are made for relationships and your soul thrives when you experience them in a healthy way. 
But the taint of your soul, i.e. sin, disrupts this desire and disrupts the fulfillment of this thirst of the soul. So you got to deal with the taint. Uh, once you deal with the taint, then your soul is set free to pursue and experience love and experience re- relationships and friendships in righteousness and in truth. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect at it, but what it does is it, it opens the door of possibility and potential, you know, and that's what's really awesome about it. And so, so when you look at your own story, when you look at the story you're writing now about your relationships, it's all about your meta narrative. You have to think about it and wrestle through it before you can go out and have any healthy relationships with other people. Because if you pick the wrong meta narrative, you know, finding any sort of alignment or love or bonding or intimacy is next to impossible. And this is what Paul meant when he said to the Corinthians, he said, look, you know, don't be unequally yoked. And his, his point there is referencing, you have, uh, you know, oxen would pull and they'd have this big, huge wooden beam that would go over two oxen and then they would pull the plow or the, the uh, wagon or whatever, but mostly the plow. And his point is, is that you can't hook an oxen with a horse or an oxen with a donkey because then that injures both. Mm. It'll, it, it injures both because they're unequally yoked. You have to have not only two oxen, but you have to have two oxen approximately the same age. You know, they're not exact, but so they're the same size. Otherwise, right. they both get hurt. And so his Paul, Paul's point is, is that, look, you better understand what your meta narrative is, what you're basing all your life story on, because if you don't, then you're going to get hurt. And I find this really interesting because people in Christianity make this assumption all the time. And that is, well, you're a Christian and I'm a Christian. It should work out. Well, not unless you've really explored, you know, do you, have, you re, have you really adopted Jesus's definition of what it means to be a human being and what the point and purpose of your life? Because there's a lot of people who say they're Christians who don't adopt a biblical worldview. And that causes a huge problem in a marriage, per se. So the New Testament book of Ephesians is so powerful in its teaching uh, about relationships. All these practical steps are overwhelmingly effective in producing a much better ending to your relationship story, but it's built on the meta-narrative of Jesus. If you go back and read chapter one and chapter two, it's all about this is who Jesus is, and this is who you are, and this is why Jesus came, and this is what he changed you into. See, that is a meta-narrative, right? And so when I understand that, now these practical steps make a massive difference in my relational life. If I don't understand that, these will not be effective. So we, we kind of took off on this concept of narrative, but I, I want to get a little bit more context so I can really understand it and wrap my head around it. What, what, can, what else can you share on this idea of this narrative? Well, I think, I think the first thing we have to understand about narrative is this, is that we live in a postmodern philosophical construct. This has been around since probably the 60s. And so we've all been raised in a postmodern society. We've been trained to think in a certain way. Now, the upside of that is that narrative is king. We want to hear people's story and we're interested in stories and we want to, you know, we want to emotionally connect men and women want to emotionally connect with stories of people, right? But 
What's interesting in postmodernism is that they deny any meta narrative as true. They basically say there is no meta narrative. Mm. Okay. Now that is really interesting because if uh, your story is king, but then there's no context or foundation on which your story is built. So there's no way to assess, understand, or evaluate your own story, yours personally, or those around you. So if absolute truth doesn't exist, then all other stories out there are take it or leave it, or they're irrelevant. And this is where the whole notion of, well, you get your truth and I get my truth. But what you see is when people have vastly different truths, they end up creating more division, more hatred, more prejudice, and more bigotry. Now, on the other hand, Jesus taught that there is an absolute truth. If you read chapter one and chapter two of the book of Ephesians, you see, well, there is a God. Uh, your soul is created in the image of God. It basically means that one of the aspects of that is you're relational. Your soul is relational. It needs to be connected first to Jesus and then to those around you. And this relationship, though, was broken because of free will. In other words, you couldn't be in a loving relationship with anybody or with God unless you possessed free will. Okay. And because of that, we invited evil into the world and that separated us from him. Now, and here's the most interesting point of all in that the narrative you adopt is the primary determiner on the type of relationships you experience. And all research points out to this, you know, when you look at, uh, uh, people, uh, the divorce statistics in the United States of America is what people say, well, 50% of all, the, uh, all couples, uh, end up in divorce. And it's a little bit under that. It's in the upper 40 percentile. Mm -hmm. But what's really fascinating is when you really dig into it, nobody ever, ever talks about this, is that the people with the lowest divorce rate in America, and it's under 10%, are people who are Christian and who attend church regularly and pursue their faith as a family. So now that does that insulate you from divorce because of some reason? No, because Satan's, you know, messing things up all the time and, and uses our own desires against us. But the point is, is that the highest rate of marriage success is amongst people who have the same narrative and they not only believe in the same narrative, but they're building their life around that narrative. So basically what you're teaching is that we need to think through our core narrative. Yes before we can really understand and experience relationships with that are healthy and, and good for our souls with other people. We have to kind of know what our narrative is before we can start really healthily interacting with someone else who may or may not know there. May or may narrative. not know there, yeah. You have to be solid before you can start going and pushing outwards, basically. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the truth of who we are comes from Genesis in the creation account and many other New Testament passages, this Ephesians chapter one and two as well. And Paul wrote that letter specifically for the purpose of instructing us on how to live and have healthy relationships. And it's all based on this meta narrative. And that mm. is, this is God, this is who you are, and this is why that relationship has unresolved conflict. And that's why Jesus came, you know? And what did I say earlier in this series is the number one toxic to any relationship is what? unresolved, unresolved conflict. conflict. And so in essence, the, the meta narrative is we have an unresolved conflict with God. Mm. See, we have an unresolved conflict and no matter how hard we try it. And that's the whole point of the old Testament, all the law, all the sacrifices, 
everything could not what? Fix it. Fix it. Could not resolve the conflict. You know, and, you know, uh, David wrote in the Psalms, you know, that a sacrifice and, obe- you know, obedience is not what you require, but a clean heart, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, wow. So, so no matter how hard we try, we, we couldn't resolve it. So Jesus came and then he resolved the conflict. But what's really interesting about it is God did his part. Okay. So God does his part and now we must participate and do our part. You know, and that that's not a statement of salvation by works at all, but it's what Paul says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. You know, and that is, is that as a free will agent, you have to enter into this thing to resolve this conflict between God. Jesus is through an act of grace has done everything. You can't resolve conflict one sided. Both parties have to be engaged, right? Like you, if I'm in, if I was married in, in a fight with my spouse and I'm like, okay, we're going to fix this and I'm trying to resolve it and she's not invested in fixing it. It's not going to be resolved. Like you can't just be like, okay, well I fixed it. I did my side. Now we're all good. Right. So yeah. What what if you're a couple, you know, and you guys get in an argument about something and then one, either you, you know, one side of that couple just basically says, well, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. That doesn't resolve it, you know? Yeah. And so that, that's a big deal. Um, you know, and I think, I think what people don't understand is that Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians for the purpose of instructing us about healthy relationships built on this meta narrative, that there is an absolute truth. Now, if I don't understand or accept the absolute truth of who I am, then the practical steps have no real effect in my life. I was talking to this pastor, um, and uh, he was relating to me a conversation. He was going down to the local YMCA, you know, and playing basketball, pickup basketball. With There's a whole bunch of guys that will show up over lunch or after work to play ball. Mm. And so there was a guy down there that he'd been playing ball with for a while, you know, I don't know, a couple of months. And then the guy, you know, eventually, well, what do you do? He goes, I'm a pastor. And the guy says, uh, yeah, I tried Christianity, you know, it didn't work for me. And so I thought, so he and I started talking about how interesting that was because how could you try the ultimate reality and then have no effect in your life? You know, this is true or it's not true. It's kind of like jumping into the ocean. How can you afford getting wet? You know, getting wet. Yeah. How can you avoid it? If you jump into the ocean, well, there's only one way to avoid it and that it's not hard to avoid it. If you're in a submarine, (laughs) you know, and, and this is the, is why narrative is so important. See, if you buy into a false premise, like postmodern denial of absolute truth, you're in a submarine in the middle of the ocean and never understand its effects. Mm. You see, you, you don't understand it. But even then, if the submarine goes too low, what happens? It gets crushed. The pressure, the pressure it. crushes it and kills everything in it. So that's what's really important here to understand is that these steps, right, only work if you've established your meta narrative first. So let's say that the people listening have predominantly accepted this absolute truth, the, the meta narrative, mm-hmm. um, that there is absolute truth that Jesus is our savior in which w- their stories are like this, this meta narrative is then influencing the stories they're writing because mm-hmm. they've accepted it. Yeah. Um, that, pr- and so what does Paul's teachings in the fourth chapter of Ephesians, which is where we've been, right? Yes. Um, how does that help them write a better story? So if they're, they're accepting this, this premise of, um, there is an absolute truth, you know, and they've, they've accepted that as part of their story. What does Paul teach us to make 
help write a better story. Well, you see this pattern over and over again. You see, first of all, the pattern over the whole book, and then you see it in more of a microcosm in chapter four, and that is, you know, align your upstream first. Mm. And then your downstream, any change you make there is going to have super powerful effects. But if you don't, if you don't change that upstream first, uh, for instance, it's similar to this. Uh, I know lots of guys who tell the same story and that is, yeah, you know, my eating habits weren't very good. I knew I needed to eat better, you know, but I, I tried to change. I couldn't change. I couldn't change. I tried to change. Then I had a heart attack. And then after the heart attack, that'll switch your values. Yeah, real quick. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then it was easy to change. Yeah. That's easy. You know, every time I looked at that red, rare steak i was thinking i'm gonna die (laughs) but see that's an illustration of how upstream and downstream works and that is is that a lot of times what we do is we try to change downstream stuff and it never works Mm. right it's not until we have the upstream uh here's i was listening to a psychologist who specializes in chemical addiction he says when people are addicted uh to drugs he says no one ever breaks their addiction until they have a spiritual awakening first Mm. I thought, man, that's coming from a secular psychologist. You have to have a spiritual awakening, which is an upstream thing, right. before you can actually kick the habit downstream. Mm. You see, uh, this is why in couples, if if you ever lose the upstream value that we're committed to each other and we love each other, then all the communication techniques downstream won't work. If you don't have that, the downstream stuff doesn't work. That's why most people... You know, when they want out, they always say things, well, I made a mistake and we never saw eye to eye. Well, that's actually not true because you married the person, mm. you know, but now you've lost that. And so now that that isn't true for all marriages, but a lot of times uh, when marriages fall apart just because two people can't get along, then then that's an issue. Mm. You know, now there's big things, you know, like abuse or chemical addiction, pornography. Those things, you know, have, are nuclear toxins in a relationship and they almost result in destroying it. But, but there's also a large group of marriages that end just because, you know, one's a night owl and wants to go out on the weekends and the other one's an introvert and wants to stay home, mm. you know? So I think, I think the issue here is that we have to overemphasize is that unless you understand the upstream value must change first, your downstream efforts produce very little fruit. So you want to change that. And that's what the problem I think so many adults are struggling with in America today because we have been raised in a way where we've adopted syncretism. And what syncretism is, is is that we take a lot of different values, principles, or beliefs and bring them together. We adopted these values based on circumstances that we went through usually in our middle school, high school, and college years, right? Right. And what happens is, hey, these things are a good idea at the time, right? So I'm going to adopt them. But we end up believing values and principles that actually contradict one another. So your upstream has values that that are in conflict with each other. Okay, now when that happens, your core values contradict one another, you are opening yourself up to massive amounts of depression, anxiety, you lose your ambition in life, you lose your passion for life. Most importantly, you have zero courage and zero confidence in your life. Mm -hmm. And that's because our upstream is out of alignment. And so until you realign that, and that's that's why Paul wrote 
chapter one and chapter two of Ephesians before he talked about the seven practical steps is you got to align that stuff first. And then this stuff down the, the downstream works so much better. It, it's, it's super powerful because, uh, we're, we're, we are more interested in stories today than facts or upstream core values, right? We're, we'd rather hear a story and like entertain me, get my emotions going, than actually think about and evaluate, well, what are my actual core values? And, and are they based on facts and reality and a belief system that's mm -hmm. a meta narrative that God explains to me and I can adapt that or not? Um, we would rather just, oh, I just want to be entertained. I don't want to think my brain's overworking. Well, the reason why we love stories so much is because they touch us at the level of our soul because we're not Spock, right? Spock wants the facts right. and nothing else. We want a story. <laughs> well, and I mean, Jesus even taught in story. Like, he taught in story. You know, he was one of the greatest storytellers mm -hmm. of all time. Of all time. And he knew be that was a great way to communicate with us because we desire that in our soul is these stories, right? Yeah. And the, and the ultimate story is the meta narrative, right? Right. And the meta narrative is the absolute truth that you must wrestle with. If there is a God, then I'm meant to be in a relationship with him. And the only way to do that is through redemption of my soul, mm -hmm. because I understand the condition of my soul. So in essence, this is the ultimate conflict resolution is what Jesus did on the cross. So if you remember early on in our study, the number one toxin to all relationships I said earlier is unresolved, unresolved conflict. conflict. And so I'd be so bold as to say this, and that is though our world is filled with toxicity today. It's filled with wars, pestilence, division, hatred, slavery is just as popular today in the world than it was during the height of the chattel slavery in the late 1800s. People don't know that, but it is. Maybe not in America, but it certainly is in Islamic countries and Northern Africa. It's incredible how much slavery is going. Human trafficking, human trafficking is off the charts. There's drug abuse. Uh, it, there's all kinds of things that are happening. Even the pestilence that we are suffering today is because of the unresolved conflict in the meta narrative. You see, I would postulate then is that some people will say, well, why doesn't God just resolve it? Well, guess what? He did his part by dying on the cross. And as we just talked a moment ago, a moment ago together is that the only way to resolve uh, conflict is when both parties come to the table and one party's done, I've done all I can. Now you need to choose to walk this path of journey with me. So God's done his part. It's finished. Now it's up to us. So the more people that experience the resolution of this conflict, then the more peace we will have, not only as individuals or in our families, but in our communities and our nation as well the more fulfillment people will have, the more meaning, the more purpose, and the more courage, more righteousness, more holiness, more justice, more fairness, more equality. Why? Because this ultimate unresolved conflict is now being resolved through the redemptive act of Christ. Now, without resolving this conflict, the world will continue to experience all the toxicity of the unresolved conflict. It gives Satan all kinds of authority and freedom to operate within the perverted and misguided sensuality, the misguided desires that can be corrupted by Satan. So, 
there are going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. Uh, I believe there's going to be discrimination. There's going to be hatred. There's going to be prejudice. There's going to be bigotry, malice, anger, violence, you name it, until we can see people find peace with God and resolve that conflict. So much of the peace that we have seen in this world, so much of the prosperity that we have here in America, um, so much justice and opportunity mm -hmm. comes from the fact that a large percentage of Americans have resolved this conflict. They, yeah. have, they have chosen to give their life to, to Jesus and they have accepted this resolution that God has offered, right? Well, their meta-narrative is so powerful. You know, the meta-narrative that our founding fathers came up with was based upon, I mean, all these people were steeped in the the how this conflict was resolved and so their ideas and their concepts that were birthed out of that right were in alignment with that meta narrative mm -hmm. and that's what america's struggling with right now because you have a large group of people who say we reject that narrative and we want a different narrative and so in order to get that we need to tear everything down right i mean we need to tear everything down in order to get that but that's why that's why i'm so thankful this weekend of thanksgiving you know i'm so thankful because uh, it's really important to me as a follower of Jesus because it allows me to uh, remember and see and experience and have gratitude for all the beauty and wonder and blessing that I have from Jesus and how he resolved this conflict and he made it possible that it could be resolved. And so that is such a blessing and, and it also has flowed out because that meta narrative was rooted into our culture uh, among the American society. Now we're in danger of you losing that, but I think if we continue to realize our upstream core value, what we're going to find is that the downstream, no matter how hard they try to change it, it will never take root. Well, we are so thankful for you, Pastor Doug. Um, and this Thanksgiving, we will still have a Salty Pastor episode. It's yes. probably going to come out a little earlier in the day, so you can listen to it while you're doing Thanksgiving meal prep. Yeah. You can have it on and, and listen it's gonna to it. It's going to be super special. Yeah, we're going to do yeah. something amazing. I'm really excited for we're it. We're going to tell a story. We are. Yes. So excited. So thank you guys so much for joining us here on the Salty Pastor. Um, just remember to say thankful during this season. We're going into the holidays, and it's a great time to kind of reflect on what you believe why you believe it and who you care about and why you should be thankful to God for all the things he's done in your life. So thank you guys for joining us today and we'll see you on Thursday, Thanksgiving here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. <laughs> Blessings.